Welcome back to Half the Battle. I'm your host as always, Daniel Levy, your co-host Shaq. We're going to be talking UFC Hamburg, Mauricio Shogun Hua versus Anthony Lionheart Smith. And Shaq, it's going down this Sunday afternoon in Hamburg. Yeah, it's a great card from top to bottom. Anthony Smith, you know, moving up to that 205-pound division. You know, he claims the uh, 20 pounds of water is the best uh, decision he's made in his career. And we know Shogun's on a 3-5 win streak, but he hasn't fought since uh, John Volante. So we know uh, this is going to be a great fight. Shogun is must-see TV every time. And Anthony Smith is pretty much in that category as well. And, you know, a couple of little facts here is that this is going to be the third legend that Anthony Smith has fought on his little run. Obviously, you know, he knocked out Rashad Evans. He knocked out Hector Lombard. Now he's got the chance to go out there and knock out the legend, Mauricio Shogun Hua, the former UFC light heavyweight champion. And a lot of people also don't know because people are talking about how Shogun's on his way out. Well, little little fact, Shaq. This is the longest win streak of Mauricio Shogun Hua's UFC career. And I'm talking longer than when he was the UFC champion. Yeah, man. Shogun, uh, you know, he might be one of those Brazilians that's getting better with age. But, you know, we're going to find that out on Sunday. But what he's done these last three fights, I mean, he's faced adversity in all three of them. And he's came back when he got dropped by a little knock, came back and won the fight. His fight with uh, Volante, he got hurt early and came back and knocked him out. And the fight with Corey, you know, Corey was... Uh, edging out those rounds, and Mauricio put a glove to chin and got his win, so he's been uh, accomplishing his job lately. Shogun's one of those guys, like, unlike Rashad, we knew Rashad's been done for, like, the last four years, but with Shogun, when you talk about a puncher's chance, uh, I don't care how old or gassed out that guy is, he always has the capability of knocking someone dead. 100%. Obviously, uh, it's going down this weekend, this Sunday, so let's break down this car start to finish. And first up in the Bantamweight division, we got Damian Stasiak. He's minus 115. The comeback on the newcomer, Ping Wan Lu, is minus 105. Now, it's an interesting fight, man, because Damian Stasiak, he's a very experienced guy, Shaq. Obviously, you know he went the distance with Pedro Munoz. You know that... Uh, he, he had a fight of the night with Brian Kelleher. He's also finished guys in the first round. And now he's welcoming uh, the newcomer from China to the UFC on hostile territory in Europe. Uh, how do you see this fight going down? Yeah, you know, Stacey X is a tough guy. You know, my boy Webster. My boy Webster, you know, his best attribute is probably, I would say, surviving and, you know, pulling off these uh, these uh, sneaky single legs and, you know, eventually leading into – at least uh, his UFC wins, you know, his uh, domination over Pehek and uh, his, not a fluke sub because Damien kind of does pull things like that off, but over Davy Grant. But there's one common thing in Damien Stasiak's fights, you know, he gets bullied around the cage in every fight because, you know, physically he's just not that strong and, you know, his uh, techniques are a little inefficient. He likes the spins. You know, the spins are nicely timed. You know, he is a karate uh, world champion but his spins are inefficient you know later the later the fight goes on those spins just become uh very telegraphed and you know then you leave yourself open for counters off those spins so you know penguin Lan, this is definitely uh penguin lu this is definitely a big step up in competition you know he's been fighting these guys in china but you know he's got experience against russians you know he's been putting in some work at uh, alpha male with his boy song Yadong. and you know i think penguin's got all the skills although we haven't seen it against you know this level of competition i think he's got all the st skills to win this fight in his debut i think stacy acts a good guy to make your debut against like i said is uh his, you know, his cardio is not the best, even though uh, he did submit Davy Grant in that third round. But I think his best attribute is, you know, eating punches and, you know, getting beat up, getting pushed around the cage. You know, if he can find a way to, you know, pull off 
these little flukes or you know these little crazy submissions, then you know uh, then props to him. But I think Pinguan's going to come out here. I think he's the much bigger guy, the much better striker. I think he's going to take Damian Stasiak down. And when I think Damian Stasiak gets fatigued, I think he's going to rely on the you know his inefficient techniques, and it's not going to work. So I think uh, Penguin Law is going to get his hand raised. You know, Stasiak's got some uh, sneaky moves in his arsenal. Obviously. We know he's got a very nice back take. You saw that on full display when he fought Yaozin Meza in that first round. He stole that first round with that beautiful back take. And also the fight with uh, with Philippe Pedrick. I mean, Damian Stasiak showed in that fight that, hey, if you're not ready to compete inside the UFC's octagon, if you're a regional-level fighter, I'm going to expose that and finish you in the first round. And you know normally when guys get signed to the UFC shack and they lose their first fight, they always get a second chance. You know who uh, didn't get a second chance? My boy Philip Pedrick didn't get a second chance because Damian Stasiak beat his ass that badly, Shaq. But now he's taking on this newcomer, Ping Wang Lu. And, I, you know, I got to say, the the up-and-coming Chinese prospects uh, are, are very tough guys. And, and I've noticed that in Ping Wang Lu's style on the regional scene, you know, it kind of reminds me of my boy Song Yudong. Now, whether he's going to have that kind of success, that remains to be seen because they are not the same person at all. But that being said, I've seen him knock people out. I've seen him tap people out. So I, I know for a, for a fact that uh, he's been putting in work in. He's also come to the States for a little bit and, uh, you know, gotten different looks around here. So I actually am going to pick him to come in here in his uh, UFC debut. And, you know, I know it's uh, close to a pick him, but the line is slightly edging towards Stasiak. So I'm going to go with uh, Ping Wang Lu for a slight upset. Now, next up in... I believe uh, the UFC light heavyweight division, we got Darko Stosik. He's minus 260. The comeback on Jeremy Kimball is plus 220. So which way are you leaning, man? But, uh, yeah, Darko's one of uh, Mirko Krokop's protégés out of Croatia. He's a big uh, a big power puncher, and he's got good uh, top control, and he's a big stiff, you know. And Kimball, you know, Kimball's what, what we like to refer to as that guy that you look at him and you'll be like, man... This guy's really fighting, but Kimball's more experienced. He's got better wins. He, you know, he's been in there with. He's got wins over Chidi and Jakawani. I mean, on the on the given day, Kimball might is that type of guy to surprise you. You know, I, he's the guy that uh, if you take lightly, he might you know pull off a a big KO like how he did against Stansbury as the underdog. So he's a guy you gotta. And this fight with De Lima, you know, I thought it was very competitive up, up until he you know. You know, he slipped and uh, got his head bashing against the fence. But, you know, of course we can say, oh, it was a slip and this and that. But I'm noticing a lot of those things happen to Kimball a lot in his career, man. You know, he likes to come out with these big uh, explosive starts. And then when his opponents survive that, he generally finds his way to the mat. And, you know, generally he gets tapped out. I mean, he's been tapped out, what, over eight times, eight or nine times. So uh, there's one common thing in Jer Jeremy uh, Kimball's career that he will tap out. Now, Darko, of course, we know Darko is a fraud, but we know that Darko, you know, that doesn't mean he can't win this fight. You know, eventually it'll come down. I don't think it's going to uh, play out in this fight. I think Darko's going to handle business. I think he's going to be too physical. Yeah, he's a stiff, but I think Kimball's going to come out here with a big explosion early like he always does. And when that doesn't work, I think Darko's going to tie him up, muscle him down to that fence. And then I think uh, Kimball... Uh, his clock will be ticking away. I think uh, eventually he'll get finished. Yeah, I mean, look, yeah. when, when your name is uh, is Darko Stosic, I mean, it's like, I am Darko, Lord of Darkness. You know what I'm saying, man? You just don't want to put your guy in there against a guy like that. And, you know, Jeremy Kimball, he's got one job. 
come in and take this L. I mean, that that's what he's good at. And some occasionally he'll pull off an upset. But when we talk about that Josh Stansbury fight, I mean, was that really an upset? I mean, no one they didn't have any plans for Josh Stansbury. I guarantee you they got some plans for Darko over in this Euro scene. And yeah, he is a bit of a stiff. And Jeremy Kimball, despite him being a fat slob, he does hit kind of hard. And, uh, you know, he's won a lot of fights. He beat my boy Chitty Anjikawani. So all that being said... I think they are going to have a very exciting fight while it lasts, and I see uh, Darko catching him. So I'm going to go with the favorite here. And next up in the Bantamweight division, we got Manny Bermudez. He's minus 280. The comeback on Davy Grant is plus 240. Now, Shaq, uh, would you feel comfortable laying a minus 280 when you know there's a chance that uh, Mark Goddard is going to be involved? Yeah, you know, that's the big thing in this fight. Manny Bermudez, you know, he likes to chain submission attempt after submission attempt, and it's super impressive, but we know on the feet, you know, he's scared to get hit. Every time Albert touched him on that chin, I mean, he got, he got hurt, and that's not the first time. I mean, we've seen him back on his local scene fights. Remember when the, he pulled off that robbery against uh, Almeida? I mean, Manny's got a history of uh, eating punches and uh, quivering away and, you know, you know, shying away from exchanges, but his jujitsu is on point. We know that he's going to chain and chain and chain, and eventually, you know, uh, guys get tapped out. Now, we've seen Davy Grant in here with somewhat of a similar style, not really with my boy Stasiak. You know, he couldn't, he was beating Stasiak up all over the octagon, and then third round, he's starting to get a little tired, and then he finds himself in an arm bar, and I felt like he left Damian Stasiak hanging around too much, and, you know, if you look at uh, Davy Grant's record, he's really not a knockout artist. He's more of a... Sim- He's more of a submission guy himself, you know. He's more of a jiu-jitsu guy. So, uh, you know, I think uh, if Mark Goddard's refing this fight, and if you uh, have money on Manny Bermudez, you better be very careful because now when I bring this up, we know that uh, Mark Goddard's from Cage Warriors, and we know, or he's from England, Cage Warriors, a lot of these, you know, UK promotions. And let's just be honest here, you know, he's friends with those boys. So, And we already seen uh, him pull off some uh, questionable things in a Davy Grant fight before against Marlon Vera. And we just know that, you know, with Manny's style, if the sub attempts don't work, we know that there's going to be a lot of uh, grabbing the fence or toes in the fence or, you know, grabbing the shorts, trying to, you know, pull off, uh, get the right angles for the submission. So it's going to be a lot of questionable things. If Goddard's rough in this fight, I'd be very nervous with money on Bermudez. So in my opinion, it's a dog or pass situation. But how can you trust a guy like Davey Grant who, you know, doesn't really have the type of finishing ability with the strikes? And uh, so, you know, therefore, I think Manny Bermudez will pull it out by submission. I think, uh, you know, best case scenario, he just comes out and it's too much for Davy Grant. But if it doesn't, Manny's not a very efficient guy on the feet. You know, he's uh, it's just pretty much suburb bust. So, you know, I, I'd stay out of that fight, but I'll take Manny Bermudez. I mean, it really is suburb bust because if you watch that split decision fight he had against Almeida, uh, don't, don't ask me how he won that fight, Shaq, because I just don't know. But that being said, man... Uh, if someone's going to get fucked in this fight, this time is going to be the opposite way around. This time it's going to be Manny that gets fucked, especially if Mark Goddard is refing that fight. And all I got to say about Mark Goddard, man, I mean, let's say Manny's going for a Dars choke. Let's say he's got something locked in. It looks like the fight's about to end. He's going to. Do you remember when uh, Jared Brooks fought. Um, fought Davison Figueredo in Brazil and he takes him down and you know it's one to one going into the third it all comes down to that final takedown and Jared Brooks gets that takedown and then Mario Yamasaki you know he's good friends with Davison Figueredo and he, he uh he made up that uh Jared Brooks grabbed the shorts uh, and and stood him back up from a very dominant position well Mark Goddard's on that exact same shit and if you have a locked in submission on Davy Grant and Mark's refing that fight he'll figure out a way to be like 
stop, stop, stand up, one point, one point, he's grabbing the shorts, you know, he'll, he'll pull all that shit, and, uh, you know, it's worked in my favor before, I mean, I remember when I bet Jack Hermanson against Talis Latis, and, uh, my boy Jack had a rib injury, and thank God it was Mark Otter refing the fight, because Mark goes up to Jack's corner, and he's like, do, do something about his rib, you know what I'm saying, so, my boy Mark Goddard, if you're a Cage Warriors or UK fighter, uh, he, he loves you, so, I would be super nervous betting Manny Bermudez, uh, against Davy Grant here, but that said, uh, I still think Manny Bermudez can put him to sleep, because Davy Grant, look, I think he's more interested in coaching, I don't think he really wants to be there, he fights once every couple of years, I mean, it, it is what it is, I'm gonna go with Manny Bermudez here, but if Goddard's refing, be very careful. Now, next up in the UFC light heavyweight division, we got a battle of prospects. We got Justin Ledet. He's minus 125, and the comeback on Alexander Rakic is plus 105, Shaq. Yeah, you know, I see Rakic as a popular underdog this week, and, you know, I understand. You know, he had a great debut. He's a big boy, you know, big, uh, big-time big kickboxer. You can tell he picks his shots. You know, he doesn't rush, but at the same time, you know, he did fight a... Uh, a uh, 40-year-old uh, guy named Fancy Marbrojoza. And shout-out to my boy, Fancy Mar because he's uh, putting in serious work in the PFL tournament. Wait, about to that, you, you mean he fought the number one seed in PFL? <laughs> he fought the fought the number one seed in PFL. And, uh, you know, that, that number one seed in PFL is on his way to a million dollars. But Ratchik is a serious prospect. You know, I think he's got a bright future. And Ledette, you know, I feel like Ledette's been getting a bad rap. And uh, I don't know why, because... You know, his last fight went to split decision, but between you and me, Dan, that fight was a no split decision. And I feel like Ledette has shown you, I feel like he's been 30 percenting motherfuckers, to be honest. I mean, when I when I talk about real boxing in the, in the sport of MMA, you got to have Justin Ledette's name in there. You know, I know we all love, you know, the Diaz bros and, you know, guys like, you know, I hear people saying like Jorge Masvidal is this elite boxer and, you know. Uh, um, you know, Danny Hot Chocolate's a pro boxer, Holly Holmes a pro boxer, but I'll tell you right now, I think Justin Ledet's got all those all those people beat in terms of just pure boxing. I mean, the guy, you know, makes guys look silly with one punch and that's just with the jab jab in the left hook, you know. I think he's got more in his arsenal. I just think boxers have the tendency to just use what they need, you know. And I feel like Ratchik, he's gonna definitely need a little bit more and I think we're gonna see a little bit more. I really don't think we've seen that right hand. I mean the his last fight against that 265-pound heavyweight that, you know, puts people's lights out. I mean, he popped his eye. I mean, just put it this way. I've heard a couple of people go in between rounds saying, I can't breathe because of that jab. And, you know, of course, we can sit here and say, oh, it was Chase Sherman. But, I mean, he made Chase Sherman not be able to breathe. He butchered Chase Sherman to the point that Chase Sherman uh, <laughs> was pretty much just bewildered, man. And, I mean, he couldn't breathe because of one punch. So, you know, I think if you're basing the dead uh, off, you know, thinking he's just all he has is a jab, I think he's got way more in his toolbox. And not, let's not forget about the jiu-jitsu. I mean, the guy's got five submissions on his record. He trains with Jacqueline on those mats. And, I mean, we saw him hit an easy double leg against another heavyweight in Mark Godbeer and made it look real easy. So, I mean, Ledette does his job a lot. So, you know, I, I felt like he's won every round inside that UFC cage, to be honest. And I feel like he's giving me, you know, no reason to, you know, uh, not write him off like people are, but it's interesting to see everyone go against him. But, you know, this is a battle of top prospects, man. You know, Ratchik is serious. He's a big boy. You know, I think, like, Ratchik is smart enough in terms of the striking department. If Ledette, you know, does like to back up in that fence, the thing with Ledette is Ledette doesn't really eat anything clean, Dan. I mean, he shells up 
or he you know he rolls with the punch it's going to be hard but you know ratchet uh seems like he's smart enough to go around the show and land the hard shot so it's going to be interesting i think this is a really super fight but i do think ratchet is going to have to respect that jab i think that jab is that good i think uh, you know he's got his right hand up ready to parry but that's going to be throwing a serious volume of him and i think we're going to see other aspects of the game i think he's going to let the full arsenal show he's a little bit lighter i know he had to eat right to make this 205 pound cut i feel like at heavyweight you know he he was still 30-27, guys, and, you know, he seemed a little bit lackadaisical in there, you know, he just used what he needed to use, but now I think he's going to up it up, I think Ratchik is going to bring the best out of him, it wouldn't shock me if Ratchik got the job, and I, I have a, a very high opinion of him as well, but I think, uh, I'm going to go against the public here, man, I'm going to take Ledet, I think he's got more aspects to his game, um, you know, I think uh, that jab is serious, and I think the feints are serious, and I got Ledet. You know, it's funny yeah, to me, how people write off that jab of Ledet, like, oh, he's just got a jab. It's like, do you know what it feels like to get your eye closed from a jab? Do you know what it feels like to get your head popped back? You get that nose broken and your eyes start watering. I mean, that's what Ledet does to people. And, you know, he literally has taken zero damage in his three UFC fights. He literally is just chilling out and dominating these guys. And it's pretty impressive, man. It's not often you see a high-level one-two uh, in MMA. And that's exactly what he brings to the table. And now... Obviously, for him to drop to 205 pounds, that means he took his nutrition to a whole nother level. And I, I heard some stories about what he's been doing. Uh, you know, I don't want to actually say it on here just because I haven't confirmed it, you know, with any reliable sources. But all I know is for him to get to 240 to 205, he's been taking shit extremely seriously. And uh, I, I think coming in here against a guy like Rakic, I know the game plan for both guys. I mean, look, Rakic. He's got a crowd Ledet. He's got to throw big volume punches. Even if they don't land, just make it look like you're landing. Mix in leg kicks. And possibly, I know he's been training at ATT, possibly throw in a takedown or two. But I don't think it's going to be as easy as that against a guy like Ledet. You know, I think people are under the assumption that Ledet's just a one-dimensional guy only because he's had to use, you know, his jab and his cross uh, in his three fights. You know, they forget he double-legged and choked out Godbeer, uh, Mark Godbeer. So technically he's not a one-dimensional fighter, Shaq. But, I mean, it's like just because he's not going out there throwing spinning shit, all of a sudden they label him as a one-dimensional fighter. And I just don't view it like that, man. I think that the weapons he does possess are very high level. And I got a lot of respect for Rakic, too. I think he's a serious prospect as well. And I think he does have paths to win this fight. But I think that Justin Ledet's strengths are so strong that uh, he can literally cruise to victories in these fights. And the winner of this fight is going to emerge a top contender at 205 pounds, excuse me, a top prospect at 205 pounds. And initially I was going with Rakic, but I think I changed my mind. I think I'm going to go with Ledet here, and uh, I think he wins a split decision. Now next up in the welterweight division, we got Emil Meek. He's minus 160. The comeback on Bartos Fabinski is plus 140. Now, uh, have you heard from my boy uh, Bartos the Butcher lately? Yeah, my boy Bartos has been, uh, you know, being a Polish gangster down there on uh, loads, you know. Bartos, we all know Bartos really doesn't need it. But, you know, it's uh, good to see my boy Bartos back, uh, a.k.a. the the Polish, uh, the Polish Khabib, a.k.a., you know, the Polish, uh, the Polish staller, the Polish, uh, you know, land prey guy. But, hey, you got to respect that style, and I definitely respect it. You know, Mac... Max had a, a great UFC career so far, even though he's one and one. You know that fight with Jordan Mean. I know Mean was coming out of retirement and all, but I thought it was a great fight. You know, I thought he beat Mean's ass personally, even though you know he had a little rib injury and things like that. What's up with those uh, 
Norwegians having those rib injuries, Dan? Dude, all I know is that the two times that those Norwegians had rib injuries, they both came back and won their fights. So uh, whatever's in the water over there, those are some tough motherfuckers. Those are some uh, real warriors. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, Bartos, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, initially I was thinking Mac was probably going to put him away. But, man, I, I gained a, a lot of respect for Bartos' style because, you know, that style – even though, you know, the rest parts of his game really aren't that good. That style, he's a he's what we call a specialist, you know. He's a he's an elite specialist in one area. And you know, I know people are gonna say, Well, you know, Mac stuffed against Kamaru and he got back up, but the thing is, <laughs> it could be the same thing here, man. You know, Bartos is an elite lay and pray staller, head in between your legs trying to take you down and you know i don't think he's a complete novice out in space either you know i think uh you know he's got a decent jab overhand right and it's really just an attempt to get back into the clinch and i mean once barsos gets that leg i mean it's pretty much over and he's got the cardio to still lift you up all the way in the air and dump you on your head now mech he's been putting in some work with kamaru again for this fight which is you know perfect but i think they each guy has a completely different style of grappling you know i think uh Kamaru, you know, is a little more comfortable on his feet as where Bartos knows where his skills lie. Bartos ain't interested in exchanging any type of punches. Bartos has very good submission defense. He stays calm. You know, he uh, and he's I think he's just more of a, a smotherer and Kamaru's more of like a more just a more well-rounded MMA fighter as where Bartos is just interested in smothering you and gassing you out and putting you right back in the same position. So, you know, I could totally see a scenario where Meek is getting up and he keeps getting up, but Bartos is just the aggressor. And, you know, if I said Bartos, I mean, Bartos has a clear path to victory here. All he's got to do is do his bullshit for 10 minutes and he's going to win the decision here. I think it's a situation where Mech has to finish him and I don't think that's going to happen. So, you know, I'm going to take, uh, I'm going to take Bartos, uh, with that plus 140, you know, I think the line's about accurate, even though he's coming off a gigantic, massive layoff, you know, uh, you know, I do have my concerns of whether he can, uh, push that style for three rounds, but something tells me that Bartos is one of these, uh, three-year layoff guys, you know, the, he's in that category with the Claudio, uh, Enrique da Silva's, you know, these guys coming off these big layoffs been winning a lot lately. Chad just won last week. So, you know, I'm going to go with, uh, Bartos in the upset. I just think the pressure is going to be too much. I think Meek's going to fight well. I think he's going to hurt Bartos, but I just think Bartos is going to be the aggressor and one on points. Yeah. Obviously if Bartos is going to win, it's going to be via the grind. I mean, there's no debating that whatsoever. So he definitely has that path to victory, and he's pretty damn good at it, man. I mean, the guy is a relentless grinder. He's super strong. I mean, he pulled it off at 85. He's pulling it off at 70. T took him a couple years off. I know uh, I know he's been doing some things outside that cage, if you know what I mean, Shaq. But now he's coming on here against Emil Meek. And the thing with Emil is that he's been fa facing way higher level competition than uh, – than my boy Bartos. I mean, we're talking about Rusimar Pajaras to Jordan Mean to Kamaru Usman. So he knows what he knows what a top three welterweight feels like. And you know, Bartos has a very watered down version of Kamaru's fighting style. And I gotta say, out of all the guys that have fought Kamaru, I, I know Meek got thirty twenty seven, but 
Kamaru's usually out here handing guys 10-8s. He's usually coming out here and putting guys out for six months to a year. I mean, you know, you saw what he did to my boy Strickland and broke his orbital. You saw what he did to Serginho when he knocked him out. You saw what he did to Worley Alves when he absolutely broke him and put him out for a year. So when Kamaru goes out here with these guys, you saw what he did to Damian Maya. When Kamaru comes out here with these guys... He absolutely destroys them. I know, you know, the whole 30% bullshit, but I think that was just credit to Emil Mika is actually a really super tough guy. And he got taken down nine times. That means he got up 10 times. Now, the question here is, I do think he's going to be able to get back up from the takedown. But from there, will he be able to create that separation and that space necessary to get off on his strikes, which are a lot better than Bartos's, and capitalize on an opening and finishing the and finish the fight? And I actually think that he will, Shaq. I think that Emil is a very opportunistic guy. I don't think that he's the kind of guy that gets discouraged when he gets taken down, that accepts the bottom position. I think he's a guy, he's trying to push the head down, he's trying to hit a switch, he's trying to wall walk, he's trying to use butterfly hooks, he's trying to do the whole bit to get back up. And from there, he's an opportunistic finisher. I mean, I saw, I know you, you saw how he uh, finished Paul Harris on the local scene when Paul Harris had his head between his legs and Emil Meek was firing those huge elbows, and I know you've seen a couple of his other finishes, and he's also a guy that can overcome adversity inside that cage. I mean, you saw him get a rib injury the first round against Jordan Meehan, and then he comes back and he wins the next two rounds. So I think he's a super tough guy, and in Bartos's fights, even though it's been very impressive, it's been very dominant, he's definitely a guy you want on your betting team long term. But in this specific spot, I mean, I see him in there with with the total jobbers of jobbers. I'm talking cans. I'm talking the Hector Urbinas and Gareth McClellans. He fought the worst middleweight and the worst welterweight. And even though he completely dominated them, those guys had little seconds in those fights where they almost got a sweep or they almost had a choke or they almost did this. I don't think there's going to be an almost with Emil Meek. I think he'll actually, when he sees that opening, I think he'll be able to capitalize um, after uh, after getting grinded a little bit, and I think he's going to come out here and finish Bartos Fabinski. So I do have Emil Meek for the win here. Now next up in the lightweight division, we got Sergeant Nick Hine. He's minus 155. The comeback on Demir Hadzovic is plus 135. Now Shaq, when guys beat Demir Hadzovic, aside from Taisumov, they usually uh, lay on him. I mean, the blueprint's been out. Demir's kind of like my boy Pettis. Not in the sense that he's got a Taekwondo style, but just in the sense that he can knock dudes out standing. But we know uh, we know the kryptonite. That's push him up against the fence. And, uh, you know, uh, five seconds into this fight, we're going to be saying stuff like, oh, look. <laughs> Demir's on his back, you know, kind of like Felipe Aranches or Anthony Pettis, but on the feet, he's a motherfucker. And one thing I've noticed about Nick Hine is he likes to stand and bang. So my question is, you know, I know he's got this judo background and this and that, but usually when he takes guys down, he lets them back up because he just loves to stand and bang too. Is he uh, all of a sudden going to switch up his game plan here, Shaq? Yeah, you know, one thing remains con uh, constant in Demir Hadjovic's fights. You know, he's always getting tied up, and he's always on his back stuffing takedowns. And, you know, it's unfortunate because his striking is really good. He kind of reminds me, of, I compared him to, I said he's the Euro Alex White. You know, they throw devastating haymakers on the feet, but you tie him up and... You know, that's your path to victory right there. Hines Hine, definitely on the decline, in my opinion. He's getting a little older. You know, his fight with Tang Hyun Bang, I mean, you could see the signs. You know, he's kind of wobbling when they're exchanging hooks. But Hines a smart guy. You know, Hines, uh, you know, like you were mentioning before, he likes to stand up for the most of the time. But he does hit at least one takedown every fight, you know, in their judo-style takedowns, which is 
you know, something, uh, you know, I'm not sure Demir's uh, experience, you know, Demir's from Denmark, you know, I'm not, you know, uh, downgrading Denmark MMA because I'm sure it's good. But, you know, I just fear that he doesn't have the access to this type of wrestling training that he needs to succeed in the UFC. You know, I think he's just comfortable in his own environment, which is, you know. No, no shame because he might win this fight because I think he's got a big advantage on the feet here. I think Demir on the feet is uh, not, you know, not a complete mismatch, but you know, I think he's gonna land the more harder shots here and really hurt Hein. I feel like the thing is when he does hurt Hein, I feel like Hein's gonna instantly go into a mode of wrestling. You know, I've been seeing him putting in some work in uh, California on those American wrestling mats, so you know, it's gonna be interesting because I know he's not a. I know Demir ain't gonna take him down, but Hein's a good point fighter, man. Hein does what he does. He he does what he does. Uh, he does what he needs to do to win. You know, he's not gonna he's not gonna come out and you know exert himself early. He's gonna manage his cardio throughout the three round process. He's gonna use efficient techniques at the end of the rounds. He's gonna look for takedowns, and you know. You know, I know we could sit here and say, well, Demir fought Alan, who's a different physical, dif- uh, different physical beast. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion. But at the end of the day, those things happen. Even in his fights that he won, you know, against Martin, he got taken down the entire time. Or his fight with Martin Delaney and uh, Cage Warriors, you know, he got tied up a lot. So, you know, it's going to be interesting. It's just plain and simple. You know, I think we are going to see a little bit more shots from Nick Hine. I think that um, Demir will put the fear in him right away when uh you know, when Hein fills these shots. So I think Hein will be in wrestling mode a lot more than what we're used to seeing from him. And I think Hein's a type of guy that likes to adapt. But I think my boy Hein, uh, his day's coming. You know, I think uh, that Demir, you know, I don't think his takedown defense is going to be, you know, necessarily too much improved or anything. But I do think that Hein, like you were mentioning before, will let him back up just to let him back up because, you know, Hein just likes to get takedowns to score points. Um, aren't what are all of Hines uh, wins by Dan decision exactly so we know he likes to just use them to score points I think uh, Demir uh, at some point will catch him on that chin I think that chin is deteriorating I thought he looked good against Davi Ramos but you know after that big layoff and then uh, go down to Brazil I mean this is a guy that you know Hines on the low key been looking for a lot of answers Dan I mean you remember that failed attempt to 145 when he was supposed to fight Zabit you know, then he uh, comes back up to 55 and after this big layoff and then the fight goes down like that after you drop him. So, you know, uh, I do think Hines' days are numbered, even though he's got a great UFC record. So I'm going to take uh, Demir for the upset by knockout in the second round. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I think that Nick Hines' game plan here has to be, you know, the same game plan you use when you beat a guy like Anthony Pettis. You have to clinch him up against the fence. You have to take him down, and you have to hold him there. And you can't fight this guy in space, you know. And once again, I'm not comparing Demir's striking arsenal to Pettis. You're not going to see him jump off the cage and kick Nick Hines' head into the fifth row or anything like that. But what you will see is you're going to see an aggressive guy going forward landing big punches and uh, potentially timing a big knee as well. I mean, I'll always have a soft spot for Demir for cashing that plus 265 against that fraud Marcin held. But now with Nick Hine, Nick's a guy I got a lot of respect for. Nick's a guy that his only losses are against James Vick and Davi Hamosh, and he dropped both of them in both of those fights, Shaq. But that being said, I do feel like, you know, he is getting a little bit older. I mean, you saw the fight with Kasuya, you saw the fight with Tyun Bong, and those were some stand-up wars, and, you know, I say wars, they were stand-up fights, and 
he's definitely slowed down a bit, and he loves to stand and bang. If he stands and bangs with Demir Hatsovic, he's going to hit the deck, and that's just the bottom line. The question is, you know, I've been following Nick Khan, and, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of stories that he's been on uh, the wrestling mats constantly for this camp. So now my question is, is he on those wrestling mats every day because in his last fight he got blast doubled for the first time in his career and he never wants that to happen ever again, just period? Or is he on those wrestling mats every day because uh, he knows the way to beat Demir is to push this guy up against the fence and grind him out? That, that's my question. I really want to know. If, if someone could give me the answer to that, I, I could pick this fight confidently. But since I don't know the answer to that and I have to guess, I'm going to guess that... Uh, based on what I've seen in Nick Khan's footage, which is he loves to stand and bang. So you stand and bang with Demir, you're probably going to lose unless you're, uh, you know, Tysumov. And I don't think that Nick Khan possesses the nuclear missiles in his fists that Tysumov does. So for that reason, I'm also going to take Demir here by KO. Now next up, I believe in the lightweight division. Correct me if I'm wrong, Shaq. We got Nad Neramani. He's minus 250. The comeback on Kali Taha is plus 210. Now, initially, Nana Ramani was supposed to fight Nazrat Hakparast in his UFC debut. They actually lined it a pick'em shack. But now we got Nana Ramani as a minus 250. He's taking on the newcomer. What's your opinion on this fight? Yeah, Nadan Armani's a well-rounded fighter. You know, I think this uh, Khalid Taha guy, you know, I don't think he's necessarily a jobber, but, you know, I just think that Nadan Armani's going to be able to bail himself out with the wrestling exchanges on the feet. It might be a little bit more competitive, but ultimately, at the end of the rounds, I think Nad's uh, wrestling like how we saw him in his fight against Patty Pimblett. I mean, that was a complete five-round clinic. So I think Naramani's the better fighter. I agree with the line at... Uh, at minus 255 or whatever it is. I just think he's the uh, more well-rounded fighter. I think uh, Taha will go on to win some fights, but I like Nad, Nad Naramani in this spot. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I mean, Nad Naramani is a guy who he's experienced a lot of things on the local scene. He's gotten the five-round distance. He's beaten hype prospects. You remember when he took out Patty Pimblett. So, you know, he's done the whole bit. He even knows what UFC fight week is like. Because remember, he was getting wrapped up, and then uh, they heard that Nazrat, uh, you know, there was something wrong with his eye. So they had to pull him out. So I think coming in here against a guy like Khalid Taha, and I'll tell you what, Taha, he wasn't half bad in, in the footage I watched. He is a little stiff. He is a little small for the weight class. But for the most part, he finds ways to win. So I got a lot of respect for him. But that being said, I think that Nad Naramani is a guy who has truly paid his dues and earned his spot in this company. And I think he's going to come out here and shine, man. Whether it's a late finish or a decision victory, I, I see Nad Naramani having the edge here. And I think uh, his jab will be a big weapon. Now next up in the UFC lightweight division, we got Mark DeCasey. He's minus 170. The comeback on Nazrat Hakparast is plus 150. Now we're very familiar with both guys. Obviously, Mark DeCasey, he's been he's had a bit of a hype train since he came to the UFC. He's had mixed results. And when Nazrat Hakparast, he made his UFC debut on short notice for his Marcin Hell, didn't get the victory, but uh, he definitely uh, he definitely tested the chin of Marcin Held. So which way are you leaning here? Yeah, you know, DeCasey was one of the most hyped up guys in a while and, you know, had those L's against Jakar and uh, Dan Hooker and we see what both of those guys are doing right now in their career. So, you know, I definitely feel like he's faced a higher level competition, even got even beating guys like Frankie Perez and, um, you know, Lu Lucas Ayeski, who were, you know, 13 and two at the time. I know those guys are jobbers, but, you know, at least he's had six. What is it? Six UFC fights. Uh, six or seven? What is he? One, two. Who, DeCasey? Yeah. 
He's had five UFC fights. Five UFC fights. So, you know, the guy's very experienced in terms of UFC, and he's still young. He's only 25 years old, and he's already got five UFC fights. So um, now this is in a must-win position, you know, for DeCasey now. You know, uh, Nashrat Hakparas, we actually bet on him in his fight against Martin Hill just because, you know, we're always down with that uh, Fayette Held party. And, uh, you know, <laughs> Nashrat definitely needs some work, man. You know, I, I fear... I was initially comparing him to like a Oliver Imkamp situation, you know, when he was getting ready to fight Hot Chocolate, thinking that, you know, this guy's not ready for this level of competition now. I think Nashrat's more on the borderline. Imkamp was definitely not ready, but I think uh, Nashrat might be a little in the middle. You know, I think he's around the right people. You know, I know he's putting in those private training sessions with guys like OAM and Arnold Allen and GSP. And, you know, he's probably on the on the same supplement program as well. Skill-wise, I mean, Nashat's really green. If you watch his fight uh, before he got into the UFC against that Russian, I mean, you know, he sh shelled up for the first two minutes while the Russian bombed off on him and he was able to get that takedown and the fight was over. You know, th those type of things don't work in the UFC. And then you watch his fight with uh, Marcin Held. Now, I know he wobbled Marcin Held a couple times, but, you know, who doesn't wobble Marcin Held? And the fact that Marcin Held, and honestly, in my opinion, was kind of getting the better of the stand-up exchanges for a lot of the fight, you know, it was a little worrisome. You know, I feel like Nasher, I might need a couple couple more fights on that NFC local scene, you know, and I, I don't think that Casey needs a couple fights. I think Casey's main issue is he's fallen in love with these inefficient, you know, low percentage techniques. You know, you know the he's just fallen in love with all these moves that just really take your energy and really don't really accomplish anything. I mean, you know, do I have questions about his cardio? Yeah, you know, I do because, like we're saying, those moves. I think he just needs to calm down and you know get to his basics because he's such an athletic and physical guy. That if he just sticks to his basics, he's going to overpower small guys like Nasrat Hackbrass. But I do think that's what's going to happen. You know, I think Nasrat is a good fighter, but I don't think he's ready for a DeCasey. I think DeCasey's experience his last two fights, I feel like they were, you know, a humbling experience for him, you know, to have, you know, to be on such a roll like that and then to have those two fights go down like that. But at the end of the day, he had a competitive two-round fight with Hooker. Now, I know Hooker systematically broke him down, and I know Jakar, you know, fucked up his leg with that calf kick, but... At least uh, he came back in that Jakar fight and at least, you know, got it to a split decision. The Hooker fight, no shame at all, in my opinion. That's what the Casey's, uh, that's what the Casey's in there with. I think it's just a completely different level. It's so shocking to see everyone write the Casey off, you know. But, you know, I, you know, his boxing really isn't that good. You know, his, his best attribute is his athleticism and his, his wrestling. I think he needs to get back to his wrestling. He's such a strong guy. And, you know, I think he needs to just abandon these, you know, the John Jones, uh, you know, teep kicks and the and all the spinning shit. And if he sticks to his basics, I actually think he's gonna dominate Hot Perez. So I got the uh, Casey. Whether he sticks to those techniques or not, I think he'll uh, ultimately pull out a decision. You know, Nasha's got a nice left hand. You know, he's got um, some decent wrestling, but like I said, I think it's decent for you know the local level, not the UFC level. Unless he's made big improvements, which he's around the right people, he definitely can do those things. But I think the uh, Casey's just a little too far ahead of him. You know, there's this misconception going around that DeCasey is this great striker, right? Like, that's his main style. Yeah, he ain't no striker. You know that's not true, right, Shaq? Yeah. You know he's actually, uh, his best aspect is his physicality and his athleticism, and in turn, he's able to take these guys down, you know? Because I was actually, I, every time I've broken down one of his fights, I always talk about that Frankie Perez fight, how it's 1-1 going to the third round, and he used the takedowns and uh, won the fight. So that, to me, 
is the sign of a winner. And, you know, maybe after that knockout over that complete scrub, Timu Pakel, and, you know, maybe after that, you know, it kind of got to his head a little bit. But at the same time, he stepped up from going, he went from fighting Timu Pakel, and now you're fighting Drakkar Close, who it turns out is actually pretty decent. And Daniel Hooker, you see the run he's on. And out of all the guys that Dan Hooker's fought, you know, DeCasey actually took him to the third round. I mean, my boy Jim Miller, Ross Pearson, and uh, Gilbert Doreen couldn't do all that. So, you know, props to DeCasey. Even Hooker said that he was kind of hard to deal with. You know, he was kind of hard to gauge. And as far as Hackbarast, you know, I bet him against Marcin Hell. He gave me a good effort, you know, for plus 320 odds. But you go back and you watch his regional scene fights, and, I mean, it's not even... Their regional scene ain't the same as our regional scene, man. You know, if he came over here to the NFC, I I, I don't think he's going to come out here and beat our champion, Robert Hale, at all. I mean, we don't wear – the fighters don't wear pants uh, in our regional scene. You know what I'm saying, man? They wear shorts, Shaq. So, you know, it's just a different scene. And, you know, he, he dominated the guys he was given, but all the guys he was given were pretty damn awful. And now he's got to step up and fight DeCasey. And DeCasey is green as well, but I think DeCasey has paid his dues more – inside the UFC's octagon. I think he's more seasoned. I think he's experienced a lot more. And uh, I also think he's a way better athlete. He's bigger. Um, and I think that athleticism will come into play in this spot. And I see him coming out here and uh, winning a decision against Nasrat Akbarast. And next up in the welterweight division, we got Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts. He's minus 355. And the comeback on the newcomer, David Zawada, is plus 295. Now, initially it was supposed to be Juban versus Hot Chocolate. My boy Jubana had to pull out. He's barely hanging on by a thread. But now they got the newcomer, David Zawada. He's coming in here. He's an experienced guy. Uh, what's your opinion on the matchup, Shaq? Yeah, you know, it's a typical letdown spot for uh, Hot Chocolate. Um, you know, going from fighting Jubana now fighting this guy that no one's ever heard of. And it turns out the guy's actually experienced and, you know, has a similar record to you. Uh, to, well, to Hot Chocolate, you know, he's got actually one more win than Hot Chocolate now. You know, uh, I don't think this is a uh, a Craig White type of replacement or a uh, you know you know one of these jobbers that are coming in. I think uh, Zawad is actually a decent fighter, and you know, I think he actually will win a UFC fight down the line. Of course, I'm gonna take uh, Hot Chocolate in this one. I just think uh, the late notice, um, Hot Chocolate's experience level. Um, but, you know, Zawada's been in big fights. I mean, he comes from that KSW organization. And from what we know, I mean, some of those events are bigger than UFC events. So, you know, he's used to, he's used to you know, a big stage. So, you know, I don't think the moment's going to get to him. He's also been putting in some work at uh, ATT with Hector Lombard. You know, Hector Lombard bought him in for the uh, CB Dalloway fight to train. So, you know, Zawada seems like an experienced guy. You know, he's not nothing. He doesn't do anything too great, but he's just, just fairly well-rounded in every era. And we know how Chocolate's big problem is definitely that chin. And, he, he, you know, at first it wasn't a bad chin, but it's definitely been built to a bad chin because when Mike Perry, you know, cracks him that many times and then, well, it really started with the uh, – what's his name, Dom, uh, Dom Steele fight, you know, Dom Steele, where he was a minus similar line to what he is right now, came in and, you know, they had a close fight. And uh, that's when the chin problem started in the Perry situation. And, you know, that Nordine fight, I mean, he blocked the kick, but he still got knocked down. So, you know, we know uh, Hot Chocolate's issue is that chin, but I think he's got heart to, you know, stay conscious. And uh, I think uh, when he starts moving forward, he kind of reminds me of like uh, the boxing version of Gilbert Burns. You know, those guys at Combat Club got some big power. When he gets moving forward, he starts throwing some devastating punches. So I'm going to go with a hot chocolate by decision.
you know the Mike Perry fight? It wasn't just Mike Perry that damaged his chin. It was Mark Goddard that damaged his chin because you, <laughs> you know that at the end of every single round of that fight, Mike Perry knocked him out. You know, Mike, like hot chocolate would win the first four minutes of every round and then get almost knocked out. You know, Mike Perry knocked out Danny Hot Chocolate three times in that fight. <laughs> you know, uh, Mark Goddard is absolutely disgusting, especially in that finish. Like how late was that? It was just. Uh, you know, maybe uh, maybe he wasn't a fan of Danny Roberts during the Cage Warriors days. But look, but that being said, man, I think Danny Roberts, despite this being the classic letdown spot, you know, he's getting excited for a fight with Juban, and then you got to call your fighting David Zawada. Who the fuck is that guy? The issue here is uh, David Zawada is a very experienced guy on the on the regional scene, so now he's coming in here, and it's not like he's some five and zero guy. Correct? Isn't he like what? Isn't he like sixteen and three or something like that, Shaq? So, yeah. you know, uh, my boy uh, David Zawada has definitely paid his dues. But that being said, is he good enough to beat Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts? In my opinion, he isn't, man. I, I think that Danny Hot Chocolate he gets a bad rep for his chin, but he doesn't get enough credit for his heart, his will to win, and not to mention the dude's got dynamite in his hands too. I mean, yeah, you know, you fuck around with a guy like Hot Chocolate, he'll he'll put your lights out. Uh, just ask my boy N Camp. You know what I'm saying? So. You know, and Encamp, uh, we, we haven't heard from Encamp since. So that being said, I, I do think Danny Hot Chocolate finds a way to win here. I, I understand people taking the shot on David because, look, David's experience and Hot Chocolate has had chin problems in the past and he gets caught here. Hey, you come out here, you cash a plus 300. But all that said, I think the favorite finds a way to win. I think that uh, he's locked in right now, man. I think he's in the zone. I think he's starting to find himself in there and uh, – you know, he took his setbacks to some very tough guys in Mike Perry and Nordin Taleb, and I don't think that's going to happen here. So I'm going to go with Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts for the victory. Now next up, we got the Moroccan gangster. We got Abu Azaitar. He's minus 200. The comeback on Vitor Miranda is plus 170. Now, you going with the, with the Moroccan uh, head honcho, or are you going with the 40-year-old Vitor Miranda? You know, I think uh, Vitor better be worried that Abu doesn't dump gasoline on him and set him on fire. And <laughs> <eat> his... <laughs> but uh, turns out Abu's, you know, about that life, man. Apparently Abu's out there in them streets. So, you know, uh, in terms of fighting, was I impressed with Abu? No, I really wasn't. Um, I disagree with the minus 200. I think he's a stiff that just puts his head down. Don't say that. But look, Abu, I say that with all respect. Please don't come to Atlanta and dump gasoline on me and kill me. But... <laughs> You know, I think uh, in terms of fighting, you know, he just puts his head down and he uh, throws big hooks. Now, you know, he was in that World Series of Fighting promotion and he was struggling with guys like Danny Davis Jr. who are like below 500 or maybe one over 500. And I mean, he was getting taken down. He was getting his back taken. I mean, those fights are really close. His fight with his last fight against Michael Arant, which was uh, in 2016, you know, that guy's a jobber as well. And, you know, he, he put it on him. Uh, so, you know, that's more of what I like to see guys with wrestling when they fight Vitor because my boy Vitor definitely struggles in that department. But one thing I'll say about Vitor is the heart is definitely not in question. Now, I know he uh, had a little issue with depression after the Chris Camozzi fight. He, he tore his shoulder in that fight early in that fight and had to have surgery surgery on it uh afterwards and he ballooned up to 245 240 pounds and at age you know 38 to 40 that's you know super alarming 
And, uh, you know, he came back with his fight with Marvin, and I really couldn't tell, man, because I thought it was a spirited effort. <laughs> you know, Marvin Vittori is a guy that literally just went to split with uh, Israel Adesnaya a few months ago. You know what I'm saying? So uh, I definitely didn't think Marvin had a cardio issue or anything. I mean, they were working. I mean, they were working in the clinch on the feet. Vitor was breaking him in that third round with his Muay Thai style. And, I, you know, I admire Vitor's uh, techniques. You know, they don't call him Vitai for no reason. In that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I think uh, this guy's got super. Uh, good technique on the feet I think uh, he's tough he's got a good chin it just comes down to the wrestling and the physicality and how well he's you know responding to the damage at his age you know I think uh, this is one of his more winnable fights in a while um, well not saying that Kamozi wasn't winnable because uh, <laughs> he let everybody down when he fought Kamozi but I guess uh, Kamozi was on a winning streak but I think uh you know, Abu will win this fight just on his physicality. I think that Vitor will crack him a couple times just because I think Abu has some serious major tells with that ducking down of the head. I think uh, with a guy as experienced as Vitor Miranda, I wouldn't be shocked if this fight kind of went similar to Marcelo Guimarães' fight because uh, one thing that's remained common in, uh, in uh, Vitor's fights is when he gets you hurt, he finishes you. For, you know, for the, when he was on that three-fight winning streak, when he had his opportunity to finish, you know, he definitely took care of it. But at 40 years old in the middleweight division fighting a German gangster, you know, I'm going to take my boy Abu. Hopefully he doesn't pour gasoline on him and, you know, do anything stupid. But my boy Abu needs to, to be careful out there in them streets. My boy Vitor needs to be careful on them streets if he beats Abu because they might find him in the back of a trunk somewhere, you know what I'm saying? So I, I need to confirm that Vitor Miranda makes it home safely after this fight. But look, that being said, man, I mean, obviously Vitor, he's got the kickboxing background. You remember the fight with Jay Collier? He's getting wrestled. And with one second left in the fight, he lands the head kick. Excuse me, one second left in the first round, he lands the finishing blow, the head kick, and knocks out Jay Collier. And uh, since that point, he's knocked out a couple other people too. He knocked out Clint Hester. He knocked out Marcelo Guimaraes. But uh, unfortunately, he had to take an L. Oh, man, should we even talk about the Chris Camozzi L? You know, is that even excusable? Can we say he was sick? He, he, uh, allegedly, he tore his shoulder in the first round. So, You know, uh, I can name 80% of the roster that can tear their shoulder and still be Chris Camozzi. <laughs> but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, Chris Camozzi was on a three-fight win streak. <laughs> you, know, you know there's guys a weight class below that could go 30% like Kamara Usman and still beat Chris Kamozi. but you know yeah. but, what, but, but what's up with my boy Abu I mean let's be honest here he lost that fight with Danny Davis Jr. Uh, that guy is like a complete bum but let, let, let's, all, <laughs> let's also be honest he knocked out Jack Marshman in under a minute so you know Abu Jack, has Jack Marshman's the jobber <laughs> Jack Marshman's a UFC middleweight uh, so uh Oh, he tried to go to welterweight. Man, yeah. he must—he must have been really fucked up if he had to pull Jack, out of a fight Jack with Marshman Brad Scott. Barely, Jack Marshman barely beat fucking Ryan James. Uh, tell me who doesn't barely beat Ryan James? I mean, when you fight uh, Gerald Gerald Mershart, um, fucking <laughs> what, ha what happened when my boy Anthony Sanchez uh, tried to fight that scarecrow? Well, that guy sucks, but <laughs> <laughs> hey, that guy beat Khalil, bro. <laughs> That guy sucks, too. <laughs> but, uh, look, all that being said, look, Vitor, he does have very nice high kicks. You know, he's got the traditional Muay Thai style. He likes to sit back. Uh, I, I think my boy Abu, he might not be as technically sound as Vitor, but he's got that will and that aggression. And he's, he kind of reminds me, in a way, of, like, 
an Alex Cowboy or an Ovin St. Peru where it doesn't look the prettiest, but the guy hits like a truck, he's effective, and he finds a way to win. He's younger, he's hungrier. I don't care if he's coming off a two-year layoff because as, as you've seen, as you saw last week with my boy Rione Barcelos, with these experienced guys, the layoffs don't matter as much as they used to. You know, and, and that's just the bottom line. So, you know, I, I don't know the science behind that. I just know what I've seen based off these guys coming out here and winning fights. So, all that said, I think the pressure of Abu is going to be too much. And I see him coming through as a favorite. Now, next up in the heavyweight division, Shaq, we got Marcin Tibor Tibura. He's minus 245. The comeback on Stefan, the skyscraper Struve, is plus 205. So uh, you think uh, who, who's gonna who's gonna take that that third loss in a row here, my man? Yeah, you know I feel like this should be a loser goes home fight. You know I feel like both of these guys. You know I was high on Tibora. You know I like the effort against uh, Verdum, and then you know I guess you know there's no shame in getting knocked out by Blackbeat. So I, I guess I'll take those uh, statements back. But you know I feel like he he's a guy that. He kind of loses focus in there, you know, when he, uh, the Verdum fight, no shame, you know, went five rounds, but we saw what happened to Verdum in his next fight. And then, uh, his fight with, uh, Black Beast, you know, first round, he was throwing too many lazy, uh, front kicks, too many lazy teeps and Black Beast would just time him and floor him. And, you know, Black Beast is an athletic, uh, opportunistic guy besides when he's fighting, um, that French guy. But, you know, when he, uh, that first round he got floored and I mean, that damage to the chin happened. And, you know, that second round, you know, Black Beast gives him that top position. I mean, he rode it out for the entire round. You know, Martin, come back third round. Let's not throw more any uh, throw any more lazy teeps or any lazy high kicks. And guess what he does? You know, he tries to take him down, which, you know, is fine. You know, he has him in that uh, position up against that fence. But then he, like, completely gets lazy and, you know, just lets Black Beast break off from the tie-up and then crack him and he gets knocked out. So, you know, that's a lack of focus. That's a lack of... Uh, urgency in my opinion one-on-one and oh i need you to seal this fight off now struve i thought struve was completely done with the uh volkov and arlovsky fights and uh you know that might not be the case you know volkov i mean just systematically broke him down dissected him attacked his body the low kicks you know that training with shammy show really paid off that was volkov's you know one fight away from the title now his fight with arlovsky you know, I definitely thought he had a pulling of the trigger issue. I thought going into the fight, he was a little cloudy from his interviews, and I still think he is cloudy. I just that uh, Martin Tibora, you know, his last two fights, he wasn't uh, he was in Albuquerque. Now he's back in Poland, so maybe you know, maybe we see a little bit of difference from him. But I think he uh, loses focus at times. I think he's a little lackadaisical at times, and I think he's really slow. And I do question his chin because, uh, you know, his fight with Arlovski when he got tired in that fatigue state. I mean, he shelled up and he was able to survive. But you know, I think uh, well, everyone's chin at heavyweight is a little in question. But Struve, I mean, that fight with Volkov was a spirited effort, so I actually gained a lot of uh, respect for him in that fight. You know, do I agree with the line? No. I I don't. I think it should be closer to like minus 175 Tybora, something somewhere around that range. But uh, I'm going to take Tybora. I just think that Struve uh, mentally, I don't think it's really more of a skill thing. I wouldn't be shocked if Struve floored him with an uppercut or, you know, caught him. This is a heavyweight fight. But I think both guys are a little, you know, fragile mentally, but I think Struve just has no, you know, confidence in himself at this point. I think he's fighting himself at this point, you know, like Rashad Evans said. I don't think he's really fighting Tybor. I think he's fighting himself. And, you know, when you start fighting yourself, Dan, it's pretty much over at that point. So I got a Tybor by, you know, lackluster 30-27. 
Is my boy uh, Tybura not fighting himself either? I mean, first he goes to, you know, the worst camp in uh, in the world, <laughs> Jackson's MMA, which, you know, they used to not be the worst, but uh, have you seen the results they've been putting up lately, my man? Yeah, and another thing is, you know, my boy Struve uh, loves to give up takedowns, and, you know, Tybura will ride out that top and stall him out. So, but, yeah, that Jackson's camp has definitely uh, been... Not hot, man. Well, I mean, if they're training with Frank Lester, they're winning. But if they're training with Six Gun Gibson, uh, they uh, they ain't they ain't quite been winning, my man. So I wonder which one Marcin was he was working with. But bottom line, he went to Jackson's and uh, he lost two in a row. So now he's like, yeah, fuck that place. I'm uh, I'm going back to my roots. And look, Marcin Tibore is a good point fighter. Uh, you know, he's got that nice Polish striking style down. The jabs on point, the front kicks to the face. He can mix it up, and uh, he's, he doesn't have a half bad ground game too. When guys have taken him down, he's been able to scramble and get back on top. He had a very good fight with the Black Beast. Uh, he got caught with a fucking nuclear missile and went down. I don't think that was a quit job at all, but you know it was it was a good fight. Put up a good effort versus War Doom. The thing with Stefan Struve is that. You know, you know, we, we talk about one day he's going to finally use his range and this and that. And I, I just think he's a slow, unathletic guy, but he's super tough. Like, for example, I could see a, a scenario where Marcin comes out here and expends everything he has trying to get Stefan Struve out of there. And then he's got nothing left. And I do think that Marcin Tibora has a suspect gas tank. And the reason I say that is because uh, you remember that time I max bet Marcin Tibora to beat Arlovsky, who was coming off a five-fight losing streak. And, you know, Tibora has a good first round. And then he totally quits in the second round. I was lucky that the ref didn't stop it. And then they're both gassed out to a point of no return. Mar uh, Andre Arlovsky trips. Marcin gets on top of him, lays on him for the rest of the round. And I won a majority decision. And after that, I was like, wow, so my boy Marcin might actually be a fraud, huh? So I think this is actually a closer fight than the line indicates. I do understand why Marcin is favored because I think skills-wise, he is the better fighter. But, you know, it's funny to say that, you know, someone's not better mentally than Stefan Struve because, you know, Struve's the kind of guy. He's had panic attacks before fights and canceled fights on day of. But we've also seen him pull off some of the biggest comebacks in UFC history. I know you remember that one fight long-ass time ago when uh, he was a fucking crimson mask. Who, who, who was that shit against, man? Was that against uh, Christian Moorcraft or some shit or, you know, one of those jobbers? You, you, know what you remember that fight where he was just getting the absolute shit beaten out of him? Paul Benzuela? No, not that one, because uh, that one was, that one went all three. And I remember he threw that flying knee and got dropped by my boy, Paul Buentella. But there was one fight where he was a bloody mess, and it was early it's probably on. More, it's probably more careful. I, I think it might have been this dude, Dennis Stojnik. Oh, yeah. I remember back, that, yeah. Back at UFC 99. You know what I'm saying? I think back then, that dude put him in a bloody mess. And it, it was a 10-7 first round, and then Struve uh, pulled off uh, the upset or the comeback in the second round. So he's he's got that capability. That was a long ass time ago. Since that point, you know, he uh, let's not sit in here and act like he didn't uh, hand uh, my boy Stipe his first L because he uh, 100% did. Look, if Stefan Struve retires today, he he'll always be able to tell his grandkids, I knocked out Stefan Struve and I beat Minotaro Noguera. So no matter what, he can take that with him to the grave. You mean? You mean Stephen Miocic? Sorry, who would I say? Said Stefan can tell his grandkids that he knocked out Stephen Struve. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking hilarious. Uh, but anyways, what I meant was Stefan Struve can tell his grandkids that he knocked out Stephen Miocic. Stefan Struve can tell his grandkids 
that uh, he went out there and beat the legend Minotaro Nogueira in Brazil. You know, obviously none of that has anything to do with this fight. I'm just I'm just giving my boy a little credit, right? But all that being said, I see Marcin Tibura coming out here super hard, almost getting the finish, gassing out. And then uh, either Stefan Struve wins the second and third round or he finishes Marcin Tibura. So I'm actually going to go with the upset here. I think my boy Struve uh, stops his skid, and I think he finally gets another win. Now, next up in the light heavyweight division, we got Glover Teixeira. He's minus 150, the comeback on Corey, beast in 25-8, overtime. Anderson is plus 130. Now, Shaq, I mean, we can break this one down pretty simply. I mean, either Glover's going to knock this dude the fuck out, or Glover's about to get uh, wrestle-fucked, and he might have to take plan B the next day. Which way you th which way you leaning, man? Yeah, you know, I think Corey's one of the best fighters in the 205-pound division, you know, but we all know the glaring flaw in his game. It's that chin. I mean, and, you know, you can make excuses for the chin and all this shit, but, I mean, the guy's got a bad chin, plain and simple. You know, this started back when he fought John Vellante, you know. It's so funny. People think John Vellante was dominating that fight with the low kicks. If you guys look at the cards, <laughs> Corey was up two rounds going into the third round, so that just shows you how bad uh, Vellante is. Not that that matters, but, you know, uh, I think Corey, you know, he's got good Frankie Edgar-style movement on the outside. I think Mark Henry's done a good job of... Uh, He's done a good job teaching him teaching him that style. And, uh, you know, he's got good movement. But where he falls into trouble is when he starts standing still and he starts getting a little overzealous and he starts, you know, trading power punches a little bit too much and exposing that chin. And, I mean, it's happened countless times. The Volante fight, um, the Tom Lawler fight, even though he got 230-27 in that fight, he wobbled one because, you know, he let Lawler back him up and be the aggressor. And he doesn't have the, ch the chin, you know, consistently to, to get through things like that. And we saw what happened in the Jimmy fight, shooting from a little too far out, you know, right, right hand, left hook, out cold. The OSP fight, you know, he's probably up two rounds at the end of that first round. He got dropped after winning the entire round. The guy's just a big liability out in space. You know, you never know. He's one of the true guys where you never know when one of those shots is going to ring his bell and he's going to pull a Michael Chandler, you know, or, you know, something like that. So, you know, he's a... Uh, he, he falls in that category. I think it's a good matchup for him, though. I think Glover's definitely getting up there in age. I mean, Glover's as stiff as a board these days. He's he's slow. He's you know his footwork's a little. I mean, now it makes sense why Gustafson looked that good against him. You know what I'm saying? The guy comes in straight. He's just he's slow. His head movement's lacking these days. You know he's getting wobbled by uh, Jared Cannonier these days. I mean, you know he's definitely getting up there in age. You know his fight with Serkinov. I think it's just more of a you know Amisha Serkinov being a fraud thing. You know, I mean, we told you guys on the podcast that, you know, if you put Misha in one bad spot, that's it, you know, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, it's funny, Glover's uh, wrestling defense really ain't that bad, in my opinion. You know, I know he got taken down by Phil Davis, but let's not forget this guy actually took down Ryan Bader. You know, he took down OSP, which, you know, some people might not think it's impressive or not. But, I mean, I think besides the Phil Davis fight, you know, his wrestling's been on point for the most part. But where I see him winning this fight is by touching that chin. Do I think it's going to happen? Uh, it seems like everyone and their mom's on Corey, you know, it, it opened like, what, plus 220, and now it's uh, plus 130, kind of reminds me of Miles Jury last week, how everyone was on him, so uh, I actually am going to side with Corey, I think uh, I think he's going to stay conscious and win a decision, but uh, I mean, with that guy at plus 130 right now, as what it is right now, I mean, there's no value in that, um, 
like we said, at any moment with one of these punches. But I respect Corey, man. I think he's got the drive. I think he's got the will. I think he's tough. I think he's got. I think he's arguably the most well-rounded fighter in the division. It's just one big, one big major problem. But if if he can uh, work around that problem, I think he's gonna thirty twenty-seven Glover. Yeah, I mean, it's honestly pretty simple in my eyes. Obviously, the way it'll play out will probably not be very simple. But for me, it's basically, can Corey stay conscious? If he stays conscious, he's coming out here and he's winning this decision because his work rate's on point. Man, his offensive striking's on point, too. He's got that volume style. Uh, He's mixing in the takedowns all the time. He's in better shape than all these guys. He can push a better pace than all these guys. But every single fighter has their flaw. For Glover, the flaw is that, you know, he's uh, he's slower than my grandma. You know what I'm saying? I have to help Glover at the supermarket, you know, grab things from the aisle. But when it comes to a fist fight, power is the last thing to go. And Glover hits like an absolute truck. And in these 15 minutes, you know, one thing I want to say, and uh, Shaq, did you want to bring up how, uh, you know, uh, Glover usually loses to, you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, my boy Glover, you know, he struggles against black guys besides uh, OSP, but... He, he, he struggles know. against black wrestlers. <laughs> against uh, black wrestlers, he is 0 for... 0 for 3. <laughs> my boy Corey fits that description, you know what I'm saying? So, but... Actually, actually, what about Rashad Evans? <laughs> yeah, well, Rashad, I mean, was fucking walking into the octagon with a cane, you know what I'm saying? But, uh... <laughs> uh <laughs> so, we got it. Wait, what's his record against black guys, black wrestlers? He's won. He, he lost to uh, John Jones. He lost to Rumble. He uh, he lost to Phil Davis. So he's one of three against black wrestlers? Okay, but look, all, all seriousness, you know, it's fun to joke around. I, I, I really think that Corey Anderson, he could come out here and have the Phil Davis game plan. The issue, though, is that he's not as durable as a guy like Phil Davis. Because one thing I'll say about Phil Davis, you know, I, I like to make fun of his style. He's boring as fuck. You know, what, what, if I have trouble going to sleep and, and you know, I can't take Ambien or something like that, I'll put on a Phil Davis fight to fall asleep. But all, all that being said, my boy Phil Davis went the distance with Anthony Rumble Johnson. He ate his hardest shots and it was no problem. I'll tell you right now that Corey Anderson, uh, he ain't lasting one minute with Anthony Phil, Rumble Johnson. Phil, so. Phil Davis had the best chin in the 205 division. Phil Davis can take a shot. Corey can't. So look, if Corey somehow doesn't go down, Corey's going to win a decision here. He's going to outwork Glover. He's going to mix in the takedowns and even his striking in terms of offense and not defense. Offensively, he's got way more volume than than Glover. The thing is, Glover hits like an absolute truck. And with that Corey Anderson chin, it doesn't take much, my man. So, you know, honestly, as sad as it is because Corey actually might be the better fighter, I do think somewhere along the way, Glover is going to catch him and uh, knock him out. And we're going to be like, wow, Corey's so damn chinny. And then Corey's going to come out and make an article on Instagram about how he's not chinny, about how, you know, these guys just hit hard. And, you know, they do hit hard. But uh, certain people like my boy Phil Davis can take it. And Corey simply can't. But if Corey doesn't go down, he'll win. I think he does go down. I'm going to go with Glover to share by knockout. Main event of the evening. We got Anthony Lionheart Smith. He's minus 220. The comeback on Mauricio Shogun Hua, or as we like to say in Brazil, Mauricio Shogun, is plus 180. Now, the legend Mauricio's back. And Shaq, like I said at the beginning of the show, 
You know, because people want to say that my boy Shogun's on his way out, but the reality here is that uh, he's on the longest win streak of his UFC career, longer than when he was the UFC champion, and now he's taking on the emerging rising contender, Anthony Smith. He's a six foot five light heavyweight. He's been knocking out legends back to back. I mean, how do you see this main event going down at UFC Hamburg? Yeah, you know, I think uh, Anthony Smith's been beating these legends back to back that are, you know on four and five fight losing streaks and on four or five fight, you know, getting knocked out streaks, you know, but I, I do respect Andy Smith. I think, uh, coming up from 85, you know, he is a big boy. I think he's gonna, you know, they were actually standing up next to each other. I really didn't see a size difference, but I expect a size difference when, uh, when Anthony Smith, uh, reloads back up after weigh-ins, but he's a big boy coming up from 85. You know, he's 12 and two in his last 14 fights or something like that. So the guy has been doing a whole lot of winning recently. And we know, Shogun definitely is the fighter with the uh, the more uh, damage taken throughout his career. But uh, even though Anthony Smith's been actually knocked out more times, but you know we'll uh, dismiss some of those. But as far as the fight goes, you know. Uh Smith's definitely a big boy, and when Smith gets moving forward, he's definitely scary. I mean, he's 6'4", 6'5", and I mean he can he can hit. Um, you know, the slow starting thing. It's going to be interesting to see if uh, it comes back out in this fight because, you know, like when you're fighting Rashad Evans, like, you know, at least he took care of business the way you're supposed to take care of business because, you know, a lot of other guys probably wouldn't have done it that fast. But um, as far as, you know, the line goes, minus 220, I don't know if Anthony Smith's that type of guy. You know, I think uh, he's a guy that in most of his fights, you know, he's uh, either coming from behind or fucking, you know, He's a quick finish, you know, in most of his fights, he's coming from behind. And another thing is, anytime Anthony Smith fights a Brazilian, just put it this way, things get, uh, things get very hairy. I mean, if we look about his uh, just uh, strike force in UFC, you know, when he fought Braganetto, he lost to a Brazilian. When he fought Leleco Guimarães, he did win that fight, but that third round was very sketchy. He lost to Cesar Ferreira. He lost to Tiago Mahera. So, you know, historically against Brazilians, he uh, has had some trouble, um, but Shogun, that doesn't really matter, I guess, but Shogun's been on a three-fight win streak. He's been looking real good, but the thing is, Shogun's been fighting, you know, the John Volantes of the world and the, uh, and you know, the Little Nogs and the Corys. And then the Corey was a big win because, you know, Corey is a younger light heavyweight, but we know why Shogun was able to steal that decision away due to Corey's uh, suspect chin. Now, with uh, Anthony Smith, I do fear that if he starts moving forward in the late rounds that, you know, he can find Shogun's chin. But uh, I feel like Anthony Smith's chin really hasn't been tested that much, you know, late, at least lately, especially at this big of a stage and against this type of opponent. Now, I know Shogun's old, but one thing about Shogun is the power never leaves and Shogun's got an ability to find chins. And when he finds chins, he'll definitely swarm on you as well and he'll get you out of there. And Smith's been finished by strikes more than uh, eight times. How many times is it? I mean, you got it right, bro. The thing is... Most of those were early on in his career, and then he went on this huge streak. Yeah, 100%. But, you know, those things did happen, and those things can definitely be brought out to light, just like, you know, Shogun getting knocked the fuck out can definitely be brought back to light. In this type of situ situation, I like to uh, side with the dog here. I like Shogun in this fight. You know, I think Anthony Smith uh, kind of, he might be looking past Shogun. You know, I know he got put in the spot for a reason because he is an exciting fighter. And, you know, um, I feel like he, uh, you know, he's talking about the Gus fight, this and that. You know, he's, he's saying that Shogun's going to be a first-round knockout. And if he does that, 
you know, props out. But it's going to be interesting to see if he's really about that life because, you know, Shogun puts the fear in guys even at this age. So when they start working, I really want to see if he's about that life. Um, you know, I think uh, Shogun's got a, you know, I think he's got an issue, you know, sometimes when he's exchanging straight rights, left hooks, you know, these guys, even guys like Volante kind of been beating him to the punch these days. But, you know, he's been finding a way to get better as the fight goes along these days, which is something that was kind of different from his past. So, you know, I don't know if I trust Anthony Smith at this minus 220 line, a guy that, you know, habitually likes to start off from his back or lose rounds, two rounds to, you know, 40-year-old Hector Lombard. And granted, he did come back and win, but I, I don't put Shogun, I don't compare Shogun to Rashad and Hector. Those guys were getting knocked out four or five fights in a row. Those guys can't win a fight to save their lives. So uh, I think Shogun's a little better than those guys. So I'm going to take the plus 180 in Shogun. I think he's going to get the job done by knockout somewhere in that second, third round. I think Smith's going to be having his way early. But I think uh, one of these shots is going to really ring Smith's bell, and I think he's going to resort back to his old ways. And then I think uh, Shogun's, you know, Shogun's got a lot of fight for it. You know, Cormier already, you know, expressed interest that he wants to fight Shogun, you know. And I think uh, Smith's just looking at Shogun like an old fuck. And I think Shogun's one of those old fucks that you shouldn't do that again. So, you know, I'm going to take. Uh, Shogun. Shogun's one of my all-time favorite fighters and you know he's one of these guys that he's on his way out but he can still knock anyone out you know similar to to a guy like Hendo except that Shogun even though he lost to Hendo twice in my opinion his striking arsenal is a lot wider obviously you've seen him break people down with leg kicks in the Machida fight you've seen him knock dudes out with punches in the Chuck Liddell fight and most of his knockouts too I mean he's always going out there knocking people out and I mean, you know, you go back to when you see my boy Shogun and he's brawling in that in that party in Brazil. My dude Shogun's a real natural born fighter. And, you know, people talk about his leg locks, even though he only <laughs> even though he's only got one on his career against Kevin Randleman, you know, he's got that capability. My boy Shogun is super well-rounded and he's one of the only guys that has been able to make that, you know, Brazilian Muay Thai style work for over a decade, man. I mean, he's really been doing this shit that long, and he is that good. But the one issue that Shogun's always had has been his cardio. He comes out so hard trying to finish you that sometimes uh, he kind of does become a walking punching bag. And one thing about Anthony Smith that he gets a reputation for, despite knocking out Rashad Evans in under a minute, which isn't really much of an accomplishment because, you know, my boy Rashad's completely done. But the thing with Anthony Smith is MO is usually knocking dudes out late, like in that third round, because Anthony Smith, you know, despite his physical tools, despite the fact that he's six foot five, he often gets off to a very slow start. But the thing with him is he's the kind of guy that once you start to slow down on him, he's going to get to you, man. He, he really will. And then he's going to start throwing those long kicks. He's going to start mixing in the knees. He's going to start stringing together his combinations. And if Shogun doesn't get him out of there in the first round and a half, and then Shogun starts huffing and puffing, that's when you might see a vicious KO. I don't, I'm not convinced it's going to be like the Ovince knockout where, you know, Mauricio got caught right away. I think it's going to happen a little bit later, but I do think it's going to happen. And I'm going to go with Anthony Lionheart Smith to get the biggest victory of his MMA career. And then, uh, you know, he can retire after this fight, even though he won't. He can retire after this fight and tell his kids that I beat Mauricio Shogun Hua, Rashad Evans, and Hector Lombard. I did it. I had a great career, but you know it's not going to end there. You know he's going to keep chasing glory. And we'll see what happens uh, with the rest of his career because even though a win over Shogun, I mean, it's fucking Shogun, I, I'm still not convinced that he's going to come out here and uh, 
Beat the Dominic Reyes's of the world. Beat the Justin Ledets. Beat the Alexander Rakiches. I, I kind of want to see him against those kind of prospects after this, even though name-wise it might not make sense, but ability-wise, I do think it makes sense. So all respect and love to the legend Mauricio Shogun, but I think uh, this is a very brutal and unforgiving sport, and I see Anthony Smith coming out here and knocking out Shogun. Well, Shaq, uh, now we got to hit up Kyle Marley for the Big Marley Minutes. Time to get some DraftKings advice. And joining us now on the Big Marley Minute is Big Marley himself. Kyle, how's it going, man? Great, man. Uh, looking forward to some early Sunday fights. Uh, start off the day with a sweat. Yeah, you know, obviously we love our Sunday football, but now we got some Sunday MMA in Germany. And uh, it's a pretty damn good card in terms of prospects, man. Yeah, man, uh, a lot of newbies. Uh, I don't think most people playing DraftKings are going to be doing the work. Uh, so I think we'll have a good edge here. Well, that's why uh, that's why I got the man Big Marley on the Big Marley Minute right here, right now, on half the battle to break this down so you don't have to. And look, this main event between Mauricio Shogun and Anthony Smith, hell of a fight, man. You know for a fact, well, I say you know for a fact it's not going the distance, but I believe uh, that was said about Lewis and Ngannou as well. But just knowing by the way that these two throw bombs, I have a feeling someone's taking a canvas nap. The question is who? Yeah, I uh, this is my favorite fight to target because I don't see it going the distance. I mean, minus 360 fight doesn't go to decision. Vegas is definitely on the same page as we are. Uh, I'm just not confident in, in which one it will be. So I want exposure to both these guys. Um, I would lean at uh, Shogun as my preferred play because he's a lot cheaper. And if he gets the knockout, close to 100 points maybe, is going to be big time for a $7,500 price tag where – as it's not as big for 8700 but whoever wins, I think, you will need in your lineup. So I might be going all in on this fight, maybe like a 60-40 Shogun, something like that. But I like this one a lot, my favorite fight to target. So Corey Anderson versus Glover Teixeira, it's the classic idiot versus genius situation because you're going to look like a genius when you correctly predict that Glover knocks him out or that Corey grinds him out. But you're going to look like an idiot when you pick Glover and he gets grinded out or when you pick Corey and he gets knocked out. So, I mean, which one's it going to be? Uh, another one I won't expose you to both sides. I think these are my two favorite fights on the card to target, uh, especially if you're using multiple lineups and can throw both people in different lineups. Um, I'm going to go with Tex Air, though. I think that chin on Anderson is just 15 minutes I think it's going to get caught at one point, and uh, he's not the greatest at holding people on the ground. He's great. He's great at getting them to the ground, but he doesn't hold them there the whole round. The whole round. So I think Tex will be able to get back up, throw some bombs, and he only really needs one. Um, so I'm going to take more Tex. I'm picking him to win, but I think you got to hedge here as well if you're making multiple lineups, and you got to have some Anderson because, like I said, he can get those takedowns and he can get multiple takedowns, and that's what you like in DraftKings. Uh, so if he can avoid getting knocked out. He'll score highly as well. So I like both guys. I'm going to pick Tex. So the big men are fighting. Stefan Struve, he's six feet tall. Marcin Tibora, they say he's 6'3", but I think he's more like 6'5". And it's interesting. Tibora's kind of a point fighter. Stefan Struve, you never know what to expect. But on, on his best day, he knocked out Stipe Miocic. He beat Minotaro in Brazil. But Marcin Tibora's come through a couple times as well. Uh, which way are you leaning? Uh, I'm going to go with Tibora for the pick here. Uh, but I think I would rather, if I was making one lineup, I would write, and I had to use this fight. I would rather just use Struve at seventy-two hundred. Um, not only can you afford a loss at seventy-two hundred, but I think he's got a okay shot at winning this fight. Um, and my problem with Tybora is 
he's $9,000 and he's never scored more than 90 points, which is what we'd be looking for at that price tag. Um, I just don't see him going out there and getting a first round knockout, which is what you would need at that salary. So I think uh, he's just a better GPP play uh, than a cash game play. I, I don't think I'd play him there. And then Struve, I think you can use in both cash, punt if you want. And then I think he could get a win in GPPs and maybe score 80, 90 points. Uh, and that's big time at the $7,200 price tag. So my preferred play is Struve, but I am going to pick Tybor to win this fight, probably by decision. So Danny Hot Chocolate Roberts, he was initially supposed to fight. Alan Juban. Now he's taking on the experienced newcomer David Zawada. It's a pretty wide line, but I mean, when my boy Danny Hot Chocolate wins fights, uh, he tends to knock people the fuck out. And uh, you think he's going to do something like that here? Yeah, I think someone's getting knocked out here. Um, and Roberts, yeah, it's hard to pick against him. Uh, but he's the most expensive guy on the card. I don't see him going for any takedowns, so you're really going to need that knockout for him to score the most on the card. Um, and then Zawada being the cheapest guy, I almost like him more as a play because he could get that knockout too. Roberts doesn't have the best chin. And if Zawada can get a knockout of 6,800, you're going to need him to win the, a GBP. So I'd prefer him, but this is another fight where it should end early. Whoever wins should score highly. I'll have more Zawada, but I think Roberts will end up making my player pool. I'd just rather kind of pay down for those other 9,000 guys uh, and save a few hundred bucks. But I'm sure he makes my pool. I, I would just prefer Zawada if I was making one lineup. So Bartos Fabinski is making his return. He's taking on the very tough Amo Meek. And uh, I feel like this is a spot where if you get the winner right, you're going to rack up some points. Because with Bartos, he's a relentless takedown guy. He's a grinder. And with Emil Meek, uh, he's a knockout artist. So, shit. I mean, you think uh, it's going to be a grinder? you think it's going to be a KO? Uh, maybe even a little bit of both. I think it'll be a grind the first two rounds and then maybe a third round knockout from Meek. That's kind of how I'm seeing it. Um, but really, I think Fabinski's the better DraftKings play because of that grinding aspect of his game. He's going to go for multiple takedowns. He's going to try and keep this fight on the ground as much as he can. And that's what you like in DraftKings. Uh, and he's only 7,800, so you're going to need some dogs. I think he's going to be real popular this week, but I like him. I'm going to have some of them. But I just don't see him winning. Like I said, I think Meek's going to end up finding him late in the third round and getting that knockout. Uh, but he's priced at 8400 and I think it's going to be hard to pay that off with a third-round knockout. So I like him less. I'm sure he makes my player pull at least with one lineup. Uh, but I do like Fabinski more as a play here. Uh, and I'm going to have, I don't know, probably close to the field. I'm guessing he's going to be 30 to 40% on. I'll probably be around that, maybe a little bit lower. So Demir Hadzovic is taking on Nick Hine, and – we know Demir's weakness. That's tying him up against the fence. That's taking him down. But the thing is, Nick Hine loves to stand and bang. You think Nick Hine's going to change up uh, the game plan here and try to go all wrestling? Or you think they're going to stand and bang until one man falls? And in which case, if they do, I'd say Demir has the edge there. Yeah, I think Demir would have a big edge there. So I don't think Hine's going to want a lot of that. Um, this is really, I'm just going to fade this fight altogether, to be honest. Uh, I don't really have a lot of interest in Hadzvik just because I think he is going to get it grind it out, maybe a boring decision. Um, so I don't really want the loser in my lineup. And then with Hein being the winner, I just he's not going to pay that $8,500 off. He's never even scored more than 71 points. So I would rather just fade this fight completely and hope that it is a boring decision uh, with Hein winning because if Hadzovic gets that knockout and I don't have him, I'm probably going to be in trouble. 
So Alexander Rakic is taking on Justin Ledet, and I low-key think these are two of the best prospects at 205 pounds, just on skills alone. But now uh, they're matching each other up, and someone's uh, UFCO has got to go. Who's it going to be? Ooh, man, this is I think this is probably the toughest fight on the card to call, to be honest. Um, and I've gone back and forth a few times this week. Uh, right now, I'm leaning towards Rakic. But since I'm having such a tough time picking who's going to win, I haven't been throwing it in many lineups. I've kind of just been avoiding this fight. Um, I think it will be pretty popular in general. And I don't think either one of these guys are going to want to go to the ground. So we're not going to get a lot of takedown points. So you're really relying on a knockout from whoever you like to score highly. So I really don't hate fading it since I don't feel confident in either guy. But if you are confident in either guy, I think that they're a good play uh, if you think they can get the finish. Because they're right there at the mid-range. Ledette's 8,300. Rakic is only 7,900. If either one of them gets that finish, they're for sure paying off those price tags. I just see this going to a decision. Uh, I'd rather just uh, avoid it, I guess. I think Rakic will be a lot more popular on DraftKings. So I kind of like Ledette more as a GPP play for that reason. Uh, but I, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do with this. Maybe one of each, maybe full fade. This is a tough one to call. I'm looking forward to watching it, though. So Damian Stasiak, he's taking on Ping Wang Lu. And it's kind of interesting, man, because, look, Damian Stasiak, he went three rounds, three hard rounds with a top 10 guy in Pedro Munoz. But now he's welcoming in the Chinese fighter. We know these Chinese fighters have been killing it, man. Li Jingliang, Yan Zonan, Wang Guan, Song Yadong. So the question here is, is Ping Wang Lu going to be one of the next emerging Chinese prospects, just like the guys I mentioned? Or do you think that Damian Stasiak's UFC experience is simply too much in this spot? Uh, I mean, I think the UFC is hoping that Lou can get the win here uh, to help build that Asian market. But I, th- I think I am going to side with them, actually. I think overall it's a good fight to target because, uh, I mean, Stasiak, if, if he's going to win, you know he's going to go with a grappling-based game plan. And he's probably going to get a submission if he gets the win. But I just think... I've never been impressed with Stasiak myself. I think Lou's just going to be the better fighter. And if he can keep it on the feet, I think it should be his fight to lose. Um, I am nervous. He does go for a lot of takedowns. He could get caught maybe in a submission on the way in. Uh, And he doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. I'm hoping it's improved. I mean, Stasiak's not the greatest wrestler. So if he can keep this on the feet, uh, I'm going to go with Lou to win this fight, maybe by knockout or decision. So he's my preferred play at 8,000. But, like I said, if you if you think Stasiak's going to win, he's going to go in there with a grappling-based game plan. He should be pretty low-owned, uh, so I don't hate him in GPPs. But my preferred play is going to be uh, Ping Wan Lu. So last but not least, Manny Bermudez has taken on Davy Grant. This fight was scheduled once before, and uh, we know Manny Bermudez. He's a submission artist, but the issue here is... If Mark Goddard is refing this fight, you could be fucked if you're picking Manny because uh, Mark Goddard is Davy Grant's biggest fan. And uh, if Davy Grant is in any sort of trouble, uh, Mark Goddard, he'll stand them back up mid-submission. He'll probably even warn Manny Bermudez for grabbing the shorts, even if he's not grabbing the shorts. So, you know, Goddard factor aside, which way are you going? I'm going to go Manny. I don't even think he'll need a whole lot of time if it hits the ground. So I don't see this getting stood up. I think he's going to be pretty active if it's down there rack up his advance points, and then end up finding a submission. Uh, I am worried about him getting the fight to the ground. He doesn't have the greatest wrestling ability. Um, and I think Grant probably has the edge on the feet here. But Grant always goes for takedowns, man. he's Even if he's winning on the feet, the guy just shoots in for takedowns. It's almost like 
just a habit of his. And I think it's going to cost him here. I think he's going to end up taking it to the ground. Manny's going to capitalize on it and get a submission. Uh, so Bermuda's the play here. I'm going to be fading Durant. Uh, I like Bermuda's quite a bit. He's one of my favorite plays, I think. Well, Kyle, that's why you are the DraftKings guy for half the battle. They can follow you at Big Marley 3, and uh, I believe we got two more events uh, back-to-back, and uh, it's time to get these wins, my man. Let's do it, man. Uh, follow me on Twitter. My write-up for DraftKings is only seven I'll be posting links there, and I uh, hope we all win some money on Sunday. Good luck. Yes, sir. Kyle, we'll speak soon, my man. All right, take care. You too, brother. And that's why Kyle Marley is the DraftKings guy for half the battle. Well, Shaq, now we got to talk about the fight to watch and the fighter to watch. So what is the fight to watch for UFC Hamburg? I'm going to say the fight to watch is going to be Ledette versus Ratchik. You know, there's a, a lot of conflicting opinions. I think even though Ledette's first fight at 205, I do think, you know, besides Reyes and um, besides Reyes, I think these are the two top prospects in the division. Um, and I think uh, whoever wins this fight is going to be in prime position to get a big fight. I think Ledette, I mean, I think he's a matchup problem, you know, right away. So, And Ratchik's a K-1 striker, and he's a big boy as well. So if he wins this fight and puts out a guy, an undefeated guy like Ledette, who's been smoking everyone, that's a big win. And for Ledette, if he can get this win, smoke this guy who everyone uh, has been getting their ass beat against, I think uh, the winner of this fight is going to be uh, getting a big, a big fight next. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, you have to watch Rackets versus Ledette. It's literally the top two prospects at 205 pounds that everyone doesn't know about. I mean, one of these guys or both of these guys are going to make big waves, so you got to pay attention. I mean, their skill set is very, very high. But for me, my fight to watch is Mark DeCasey versus Nasrat Hackbrass. Look, Mark DeCasey open at minus 300. He's currently minus 170. That means that a lot of people have a lot of faith in Nazrat Hackbrass, and they were very impressed with his UFC debut. I know he's a very connected guy. And Mark DeCasey at one point was looked at as one of the brightest prospects at 155 pounds. So this is honestly a crossroad fight between both of these guys, and it's going to be a very big win for whoever comes out here and gets their arm raised. So for that reason, Mark DeCasey versus Nazrat Hackbrass is my fight to watch. Now Shaq, who is your fighter to watch for UFC Hamburg? Yeah, my fighter to watch is going to be Ping Wan Lu. He's the first fight of the night. And we know that Chinese MMA is uh, growing rapidly, and they're bringing guys over. You got g- girls like my girl, uh, Yan, Yan Zhao Nam. We got Kinan Song, Song Yadong. Uh, I mean, Chinese MMA is getting really good. You know, Wang Guan. Wang Guan, Waligi's fighting Cheeto in a couple weeks. So, you know, uh, Chinese MMA is booming right now. So keep an eye out for Ping Wan Lu. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, I'm very excited about this card. You know, a lot of people are talking shit, but when you look at it, it's filled with prospects. Going to be a very exciting uh, Sunday afternoon of fights. And uh, Shaq, my fighter to watch is Abu Azaitar. I mean, this is a guy that on the regional scene, he knocked out Jack Marshman under a minute. You know, articles have been coming out about what this guy does outside of the cage. And to me, I'm always intrigued by that. Not only that, it's a historic moment. He's the first Moroccan fighter to step inside the UFC's octagon and uh, I don't know if you know about Moroccans dude but they got a lot of pride and this is a big deal in their history I mean just like it was a big deal when CR was the first Afghani inside the UFC's octagon just like it was a big deal when Cheeto Vera was the first Ecuadorian inside the UFC's octagon so I think it's going to be a big deal when Abu Azaitar steps his feet on that UFC octagon, and he's the first Moroccan. And if he can come out here and get a win over, you know, an established veteran like Vitor Miranda, we're going to be looking at uh, some uh, some very exciting fights with Abu Azaitar. So for that reason, he is my fighter to watch. Well, Shaq, we did it. It's going down. 
this Sunday afternoon, UFC Hamburg. I'm very excited. Honestly, we haven't even made a play yet because what we're eyeing, the line keeps getting better. So it might come down to the wire. It might come down to the last minute. But bottom line, all our clients, they will be notified as soon as we make it. And uh, it's time to get a big win this weekend, my man. And uh, that's the plan. Yes, sir. No, 100%. Got to get back on track. Indeed, indeed. Well, you can follow me at Best Fight Picks. You can follow Shaq at MMA Genius 05. You can subscribe to Best Fight Picks at bestfightpicks.com at maxbetseason.com or subscribe to Half the Battle on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, and Stitcher. Check out our Instagram at Best Fight Picks Official. Hook up those five-star reviews on iTunes. And until the next time, let's cash these bets.